what does it mean? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Focus on the term image. You represent his likeness here on earth. Yeah, you represent his likeness here on earth, right? To be godlike, though obviously in a highly nuanced and restricted sense. Okay, to be godlike in a highly nuanced and restricted sense, right? So, you know, we talked a little bit about how there's a big difference between us and the smartest animal, which is the Aquilinian, right? Um, the ability to communicate, to civilize. I think I use Phoenix, Arizona as an example of there. We have no business having a city that big in the middle of the desert. Right, when you think about it. But we do. Yeah, and how you know, humans with our abilities to work together and stuff, we can do a lot. We can kind of colonize the world. And so when we talk about God being, being made in the image of God, uh, we represent God to humanity, right? And what is the job description of the image of God according to that passage in 128? Multiply and subdue. Yeah, just to rule and subdue the earth is to be fruitful and multiply. So you have a bunch of image bearers that will then rule and subdue the earth, ruling on behalf of God, right? So you kind of look at the structure here, right? You have God, then you have man, and man kind of stands over the over the earth. Yeah, kind of, and we'll do like in creatures, right? Talk about <coughs> ruling over everything that they, you know, creeping things. Yeah, it kind of goes through the laundry list of what we're to have dominion over. Okay, now we're going to go to another passage. Um, two eighteen. You want to read that, Leo? <coughs> Yep. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be done alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Okay, and the helper is who? Eve. It is Eve, right? So now what's interesting is man was created first, and then there is a helper. Right? So when we kind of look at this hierarchy here, you have you have the woman, right? So that is the hierarchy of nature, right? God over man over woman over the earth and creatures, right? So when we look at the fall, we notice something very different. Who was the instigator of the fall? Creature. The creature who tries to persuade who? The woman to subvert who? Man who subverts God, right? So what we see is, you know, creature, woman, man and God. Right? So, this is the, the order of creation. This is disordered creation. You see that? So that's something, when you look at the Doctrine of Sin, it disorders creation. Now, what we're going to look at right now is how has the disordering of creation impacted all these relationships? One, we see a subversion. But we're going to read a passage, uh, Genesis 3, 1 through, um, 
of 14 through 19, this is what's called the curse. And you have God kind of reestablishing his authority, and he curses the creature, woman, and man in that order. And uh, a lot of these curses are in light of that creation mandate, which is to rule and subdue the earth, okay? So we're going to flesh this out. So Genesis 3, 14 through 19. Do I have a volunteer to read that? Somebody want to read it for me? Go for it, Leo. Oh, did, did you raise your hand? Oh, did you take it, Malachi? Okay, Malachi, read it loudly. All right. <laughs> the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity but Enmity? Yeah, enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field, by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Okay, so we see, we see a series of judgments here, okay? The first one is on, on the creature, right? What's the judgment on the creature? What do we read? They force it crawl on its belly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They force it crawl on its belly. Anything else? Eat the dust of the earth. Eat the dust of the earth. Yep. And then uh, verse 15, what do we see? Enmity between the creature and the woman and between his offspring and hers. Yeah. So there is a um, kind of an antipathy between the animal kingdom and humanity. I was talking to Brian earlier today on uh, Facebook Reels. I always get like sharks and shark attacks. That's kind of the thing that I always kind of click on. <laughs> I, I, I can't get enough. I love sharks. <laughs> Becky, you never knew I like sharks. But we were washing. <laughs> Brian and I saw the same video of this guy washing his hands in the swamp, and a bull shark comes up and bites his hands and pulls them into the water. Right? I watched it three times to make sure that was a shark. <laughs> right? I mean, Becky and I last night, we were on a walk, enjoying this country walk, and we saw two enraged skunks. <laughs> Tails up, hissing us, actually charging towards. I'm like, Becky, turn around! And she turned around right away. <laughs> Didn't even ask questions. And I'm like, I mean, it was like terrible. <laughs> right? I mean, when you see a wild animal, right, there is kind of this natural fear of them, right? And, you know, they're also scared of us. Right, and that was not the way creation was supposed to be. Creation, was, we were supposed to live in, in harmony together. Right, that's why it's really interesting, a lot of these prophecies in Isaiah about the future is, you know, the child, you know, plays with the cobra, and they're both having a good time. 
So there is an antipathy here, right? Where there's a hostility that wasn't there before. But there's another element that's also kind of built into this as well. Um, in 3.15, somebody want to read 3.15? We'll just kind of focus on that. Where does 15 start? Oh, let's see. We'll start 3.15. I will put them there. Yeah, wait, oh, I'll yeah. Yeah, just read all of 15. Somebody read that out loud. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Okay. So this is a pretty interesting one, because the woman is singled out. Okay? The woman is singled out. And it's between the serpent and the woman. Now we know from Revelation that the serpent of old is none other than who? Satan. Satan, right? <coughs> so he talks about the seed of a woman, that there's going to be a descendant from the woman, and the serpent, Satan, will bite him on the heel, that this person will be crushed in the end. All right? Do you guys know what that's talking about? What Jesus. event? It'd be Jesus, right? Very good. Right? We know from Romans that the God, oh, where is it? I think one of the verses that kind of um, support this is at the end of Romans. Let me see where it is. 16. Is it 16? <coughs> we'll soon crush Satan. 1620. There you go. Yeah, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Right, so there's this idea that in the future, the satanic force that that deceived the woman from the woman, right, from the woman, because she will give birth and fulfill this creation mandate, will crush you know the power of, of Satan. So that's one judgment on Satan. Then you have the judgment on the woman. What's the judgment on the woman? Give you pain and giving birth. Pain and giving birth, right? Now, you mothers know <coughs> that Father's Day is overrated, right? We had Father's Day last week. <coughs> you know, I, I mean, fathers are important, but the real suffering came through childbirth, right? I, I, was, I bore witness to it, never seen such a painful event in all my life, but that is the curse on the woman, right? And so you have this command to be fruitful and multiply. And being fruitful and multiply is going to be a very, very painful experience, right? What else is the what else is part of the curse? Shall desire your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Yeah. Which I mean, I'm assuming calls back to the whole mm -hmm. pain sin is at your door it desires you. Desires you. Yeah. And, and there's a couple ways of looking at this, you know, some would contend that she'll have sexual desire for her husband. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily what he's talking about. Uh, I think it's more of a desire to control. Um, and in response, the man will dominate. He'll rule over you. And so remember how there's that antipathy between the creature and the woman, right? right? The natural state of man and woman is they are to come together to rule and subdue the earth. And yeah, the first sign of sin was marriage problems, right? Where they they hid from one another. 
right? They were fear, fear of being exposed to one another. And so, yeah, marriage problems trace themselves to the fall. Now, I, I do want to be very clear. You can always say the woman has a desire to rule. Well, the man also desires to rule too. He just wins because he's stronger. Right? That is the natural way. And so, and I think instead of like male leadership done out of submission to God, right? You know, male leadership is done because of the raw use of force and strength. Okay? So that's part of the curse. The woman is cursed because, you know, Multiplying is very difficult, and she has, by nature, kind of an oppositional relationship to the person above her in authority, who's stronger. Okay. Then another judgment uh, would be on man. What do we see on man? Uh, three seventeen through nineteen. What's being judged here? So I'm going to read seventeen through nineteen just to kind of review. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Okay. So what's the curse on the man? Toil. Toil, once again. Was that? Thistles and thorns. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about the irony of wearing leather gloves when I do yard work, right? Where leather was manufactured by the death of animals to help me deal with the curse. All right, there's something spiritual in that. I'm not sure what that means. But I just kind of like, I was doing yard work the other day and I thought, aw. <laughs> Their death protects my blood. I don't, I, I don't know, but I'll, I'll try to work that into some <laughs> um, Yeah, so the idea is, remember, what, what is man supposed to do? They're supposed to rule and subdue the earth. And the earth with weeds and everything is like, no, you don't. No, you don't. Right? So there's antipathy between you know, man and the earth. And man keeps on digging in, yes I will, no you don't, yes I will, no you don't, and then the man eventually, you know, peters out and the earth wins, and the earth triumphs. Right, so kind of a depressing picture, isn't it? It is a curse. It's a curse. You're never going to win. You're never going to win. <laughs> if you ever try to spray weeds, you'll never win. Yeah, you will never win. Vanity of vanities, right? Vanity of vanities. Um, yeah, so that, that is what sin has done, okay? And so you also see that there's a judgment on the whole human race. Uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, but Adam's sin basically impacted us all, and we all inherited this sin. And then there's also just a judgment on creation. In fact, turn with me to Romans uh, 8, 18 through 21. I think this is interesting. Who wants to read that for me? 18 through Romans 8, 19 through 21. Want to read it, please? Sure. 
For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you'd have creation. Creation doesn't like having thorns and thistles. I mean, there is kind of this longing for creation to be released from all of this. So when you look at all this, I mean, what does this curse reveal about how God viewed Adam and Eve's act of rebellion? Or what do we learn about sin and the nature of sin through this, Paul? Curious for your thoughts. It takes what is already good and corrupts it. Yeah. It's kind of with that line from Tolkien, you know, evil cannot create, it can only twist what good is created. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's excellent. Right? Creation, evil can't create, it can only twist and pervert. Right? I think that's excellent insight. Yeah, very true. Other thoughts? About what the fall teaches us about sin? It affects everything. It's not confined to any particular space or person or region at all. Yeah. Entire universe, every planet, animal, person, mm -hmm. every part of our life is, yeah. is cursed because of sin. Our yeah. health, our mental, our emotional, physical, everything. Yeah, it touches everything, which has an interesting implication, right? When Jesus comes back, he has, you know, his righteousness has to touch everything, you know, to reverse it all, to unpervert what's been perverted. <coughs> its eventual end is death. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It has consequences. Mm -hmm. These are the consequences. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't just, you know, Eve's personal thing. It, it impacts everybody <coughs> and everything. Now, this is good. Other thoughts? About what this teaches us about the nature of sin? It gives us a new responsibility. That we have to take responsibility for our actions when I give these sacrifices and since Jesus begin to give that responsibility to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to be responsible for the mess you created. Yeah, understanding, you know, the whole narrative of the Bible is creation, fall, redemption, you know, consummation. Um I, yeah, just and I can't stress enough, I mean, Genesis chapter 3, and understanding the curse, if you want to understand sin, the first sin, the genesis of sin, um, just gives you a whole narrative to fill things out. Like, I, I think just the antipathy, you know, between the creature and the woman, the woman and the man, and ultimately the man and who? God, right? Now, men made in God's image are in constant rebellion against him, despise God. You know, turn against him. Do not want his rule and authority. And then even the rightly ordered, right order of creation respects his hierarchy and design. And you just see how people really push against that today, right? Yeah, I was uh, reading a, a, an article this morning on how there's a, a movement to replace 
your biological family with your true family, where there's a lot of laws out there that if you were a sperm donor baby, there's new laws being written that would make it mandatory for the clinics to reveal your, your sperm donor father's identity. And there's pushback on that within the gay community because that seems to say that a genetic family is a real family as opposed to these new families that they're trying to create. They're trying to say that that's actually the same, the same as the other, that makes sense, right? And yeah, there is just kind of like this legal fiction that's often being created that you know, a man, like the whole transgender issue, right, is, a, is really an assault on creation and the created order, right? And trying to twist that and say, nobody tells me what my gender is, I define it for myself, right? It really makes, you know, man or the creature, you know, God is basically relegated away as somebody who's, you know, the most patriarchy and all these other things. It's just a naturally rebellious spirit to all of us. And what it does is just societal breakdown, family breakdown. Um, it's kind of tragic. And I think one of the things, uh, just listening or talking with people that have a, maybe either an atheistic worldview or kind of a materialistic, um, there's a sense in which there's a, there's a separation between the curse and its effects mm -hmm. and sin. So death is a natural part mm -hmm. of the evolutionary process. So yeah. There's no negative connotation to that. It's there's a nothing, circle of life. Yeah, there's nothing negative about death, decay, thorns, mm -hmm. thistles, pain in childbirth. That's just the way that things are. Mm -hmm. And so that separation then makes it hard for them to imagine or conceive of this good created universe that fell. They don't see where it fell from. Mm -hmm. So they don't see really what's so bad about sin. You, know, you remove God from the picture. You remove the good creation. Mm -hmm. All this is just, well, this is as good as it gets mm -hmm. almost. Yeah. And and not even that, then it gets to become more, it's getting better and better. You know, we're, we're evolving and developing more. Yeah. Yeah, Judy. Oh, there's even sin in some of your churches because they put women as pastors, which put a woman as head of man, head of creation, which is definitely due to the fall, because man is supposed to be the head of mm -hmm. woman and um, mm -hmm. creation. Yep. And when a woman is a pastor, that puts her above men in yep. the church, which is not yeah. correct. Yeah. And I do want to be careful here. Like, men and women are both made in the image of God, right? Both are made in the image of God. Woman was not this separate, subservient creation. She was created out of a man to kind of share his nature. But there is a sense where, um, you know, like a woman's submission to her husband is like, you know, the church's submission to Christ, right? There's there's more at stake, and I think part of that is showing the goodness of, of the design and the order, you know, especially when you look at the issue of childbirth, right? That puts women in a very weak and vulnerable position, and that would be the time where the man has to rise up and use his leadership to protect and serve his wife in that capacity. Does that make sense? 
And so I've been um, kind of toying with this idea of male headship and, and leadership. And you know, men, yeah, traditionally there's, well, I think biblically, there's kind of three roles that men play, you know, leadership, uh, protector, and provider. And I think a lot of times we think that leadership is the chief role of the man, where I, I think it's really protection is the chief role of the man. And provision is a form of protection. And leadership is a form of protection, right? Like for the police to protect us, they're given a certain amount of authority to do so. Does that make sense? Right, so, and that's something where you look at, you know, men having the greater strength, um, you know, the ability in just about every marriage to settle every argument with their strength, they could do that. Um, but protection is not using their strength to exploit or to dominate, but to protect and nurture, um, especially when women are in the vulnerable state caring for young children or being pregnant. Does that make sense? So there's, um, you know, so part of the design of the church is to recognize the goodness of that ordering. And that's one of the things that the leaders of the church do is, you know, one of the primary jobs is to protect, right? Protecting with doctrine, you know, running off false teachers and, and all of that. So, again, it's part of the, the goodness of creation. But that's good insight, Judy. Thanks for bringing that up. All right. So, feel sufficiently addressed? All right. So, now that we talk about the origin of sin, let's talk about the definition of sin. And this is a definition that I, I got from a theology book um, from Wayne Grudem. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God and act attitude or nature. Uh, sin is here defined in relation to God and his moral law. Sin includes not only individual acts such as stealing or lying or committing murder, but attitudes that are contrary to the attitudes that God requires of us. And when I say nature, we'll talk more about this. We're, you know, it's the inner disposition, right? We are defined as, as sinners, right? It, it's almost an identity. It's kind of what we do. So a lot of uh, theologians, they kind of query about the different ways, you know, what exactly is sin? What's, what's the central focus? And, and there's uh, three suggestions out there. One would be sensuality. You know, sin is a, the tendency of the lower physical nature to dominate the higher spiritual nature. Taking Paul's injunction, living according to the flesh literally, this view sees the physical or material aspects of the human being as a basis for sin. So what do you guys think? Do you think we can define sin as whenever you do your base desire, that's a sin? Sounds too much like stoicism, the whole, uh, the, the flesh versus the spirit. Okay. And it doesn't explain all roots of sin. Okay. As well, this might define my like explain why it's like the physical aspects of sin. Mm -hmm. One like explain things like anger or mm -hmm. covetousness or uh -huh. this wrath that people have from one another. Yeah. Yeah, what else might yeah, go there. Um it it kind of says that all things that could be considered maybe from an observer's point of view, sensuality therefore is sin. It mm -hmm. kind of mixes the, the distortion of the gift okay. altogether. Okay, yeah. Yeah, like what you brought up. Like, can you think of any, like, human desires that are not sinful? Yes. 
Yeah, like. Zydegrone Christ. Zydegrone Christ. Well, I, I'd even say like physical. Like, are you guys? Do you guys ever nap? <laughs> I took a, I took a, I think maybe a two-hour nap yesterday, and that was a gift from God. <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. I woke up and said, "Man, why am I in a good mood?" Oh yeah. Right. So that yeah. So there's a sense where, um, like, if you kind of take sin to sensuality, you kind of get into this monastic like asceticism where you just got to beat your body and punish it and be miserable. Where sleeping is a good thing, right? We're, we're commanded to rest on the seventh day. To mind the <laughs> well, I mean, if we have said that evil cannot create, it can only pervert, right? Yeah. Then evil can't create a desire, mm-hmm. right? It can't create anything. All it can do is take desire, which is good and given by God and ordained by God for good ends, and twist and pervert that. Yeah. But the desire itself, every desire starts with something that was initially intended to be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like sleep, right? Now, you don't <laughs> want to be a sluggard, right? Proverbs warns us about that. Chris? Um, I was going to build a connection off that. Okay, go for it. Cool. There's this devotional book I picked up, and it was talking about, like, like sin being twisted in the light. Snakes are the perfect representation for evil because mm-hmm. they twist. Mm-hmm. Somebody else had a hand up? I know I know me going after Chris might be a little overwhelming. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, I actually was gonna build off of of you know what was being said and uh, I remember talking to my father, who's very wise, even though he's not here, but he's probably exhausted from his trip. But is he sleeping? He's probably touching hair rum on this. But uh, I was, uh, I was talking to him, and and you know he has this sermon. He speaks on uh, like the desire to care for your family mm-hmm. and the love for your wife, and you know all of those things. Um, but even those good things become evil the moment they take priority over God. Mm-hmm. And so um, what centrality misses is it's it tries to make physical, any physical aspect as a basis for sin mm-hmm. and forgets that it's the problem is um, going against what God has, has yeah. created. So I'm, I'm, I'm just... Yeah. Adding a little bit of questions. No, that's good. So I, in the rest of my statement, you know, while this may help explain drunkenness and sexual morality, it does not give an account for the sins of the mind, such as coveting, pride, bitterness, etc. In addition, when Paul says flesh, it does not conceptualize our physical body as the source of sin, but our corrupt human hearts. So here's another one. Selfishness. Simply put, this is to choose the interest of self as the supreme authority and governing principle of life. This may prefer. This means we prefer ourselves to God and to others. All sin is comprised of loving ourselves rather than God. Our sin dethrones God and places ourselves on the throne of our life. And so, um, this seems a little bit closer, right? What, what's your assessment of maybe this definition? Sin is selfishness. I think when I first got married, this was probably true for me because I realized how selfish I was. Mm-hmm. And so I think. Sin is correlated to selfishness in a big way. Yeah. Um, so I think it's part of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's okay. all of it. But I think. Yeah. So what might be missing in this? 
Leo, do you have an idea? Well, if, if it's all about us, then we're missing God. Mm-hmm. Well, and it it it, carry, it misses that this kind of selfish sin is a selfishness that believes that there is a best that's not God. That's, mm-hmm. That somehow what God, who God is, and what He wants, that is not right. what is best. So, I mean, if if we really yeah. did what was best, best for us, us, we would pursue God yeah. and we would never sin. Yeah. But this selfishness, there's an aspect in which it, it, there's a belief that God and what He wants is not mm-hmm. what is best for. Yeah. Is that Christian hedonism? Yeah, Christian hedonism. What do you mean? I don't, is it Tim Keller? John Piper. John Piper, okay. Who said that Christian hedonism is the concept of true hedonism, the true pursuit of happiness. It can only be found in God, and therefore true hedonism is, is this pursuit of God. So yeah. to truly only seek pleasure, um, Christian hedonism is this pursuit of God in everything as opposed to living my life, you know, drinking and mm-hmm. sleeping around and yeah. whatnot. Yeah, there's, there's kind of a lot to unpack in that, but well, let me finish this. While there may be a lot to commend this view, it is helpful to realize that some of our sinful actions cannot be characterized as selfish in a strict sense. Uh, some people may sin against God because they love someone else <clears throat> more than they love God, or perhaps might selfless, selflessly give their lives to a cause that opposes God, right? Suicide bombers. Um, but then you kind of get to the third one, displacement of God. This is failure to let God be God. In one theologian's words, it is placing something else, anything else, in the supreme place which is his. Thus choosing oneself rather than God is not wrong because the self is chosen, but because something other than God is chosen. Choosing any finite object over God is wrong no matter how selfless such an act might be. Any thoughts on that? This is actually a very key counseling concept. Um, a lot of times when I meet with people, um, you know, you have this idea of that out of the heart the mouth speaks, right? Where there's like a ruling desire, a desire for even something good that can be used for bad. Like Malachi kind of brought that up with the family, right? So what would be some examples of maybe some good things, right? Because we talk about how sin perverts and twists. What would be some examples of some good pursuits or good things that can be ruling things or things that can be used to displace God? Your children. Your children, okay. How so? Putting your children above everything else, above your marriage, above God. The Um, child-centered family? Yeah, child-centered. So what what would that look like? Um, I think you'd probably sin to make sure that their good is taken care of. So mm-hmm. if they're not you know, cared for enough, you lack other areas to make sure they are cared enough. Mm-hmm. If they're not provided for, you might cheat in some way to make sure that you get enough money to pay for whatever they need. Yeah, the money. sacrifice. Yeah, I stole this money for the kids. Right, yeah. I lied because I, you know, I care about my family. Yeah, the whole plot of... Uh, Breaking Bad, and I'm not sure if you've ever seen that. But the thought uh, is built around this premise that Walter White is a chemistry teacher who finds out that he has cancer. And knowing that he doesn't have anything to provide for his family, he decides to make meth 
to make enough money to make sure that his family is taken care of. Right? So part of what makes that show interesting is people break bad when they think they're doing something good that's really something bad. It's like your, your family friends who thought were solid believers. They love their children. Their son comes out as homosexual, marries his partner. And so for them to be good parents and love him, yeah. they abandoned the faith yeah. and open, I mean, wrote about it in a Christmas letter yeah. and chose a church that would not preach repentance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's crazy. Illustration. If somebody hurt Roma, I mean, the first fight I ever got into is because somebody insulted Selma. So, so I don't know, if somebody hurt Roma, I, sometimes I don't know if I would okay. go out of my way to physically harm somebody. I don't know well, what. And that would be something where we'd probably govern by a desire to protect, not avenge, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between the two. What are some other things? I think we see it a lot right now where we're putting country above everything else. <coughs> okay. How can that be? How can our nation? I mean, that Fourth of July, God bless America. Right. God be in America. Okay, I say all those things. But yeah, how, how could that be used um, wrongly? If anybody wants to try to step into this. <laughs> Good luck. Well, politics is almost a new religion. It mm -hmm. is. Really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Eric? You kind of use principles. Um, you <coughs> elevate principles above sort of the, the, the words of God mm -hmm. in terms of justification for actions. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And so, you know, you can justify a lot of things under principles. Yeah. Yep. And that all of a sudden becomes the highest good that displaces God yeah, from the, that relationship the ends, aspect. The ends justifies the means. Right. Roosevelt said that to be Christian was to be American. Mm -hmm. So that, that's just Christian nationalism. And to tie down Christianity to a country is blasphemous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go well, ahead. Actually, if we take a good look, I mean a very deep good look mm -hmm. at our politics and our country. Mm -hmm. We are actually no longer, through our politics, mm -hmm. a godly nation. Yeah. We do no longer respect God. Whoever gets put in the big house thinks they have authority over God and anything yeah, is and the way I see it. Yeah. I'm 80 years old and I've seen a lot of things. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing we have a tendency to do is sentimentalize our past. Like, kids these days, right? You hear that all the time. Right? <laughs> kids these days, back in my day, we talk about all... You know what? I, I remember high school. Uh, we were pretty bad back then. <laughs> we were bad. We were pretty bad. And we had all kinds of different expressions of badness. And then the baby boomers right now. You guys, have you seen the footage of Woodstock? <laughs> you ever seen that? I mean, that's pretty bad. I mean, so all the way down, um, like, the U.S. was, I mean, I, I hate to 
was founded by deists. On deist ideas, you know, a lot of it. And I love America. I am thankful for America, right? Um, I would, I've been all around the world, and I come back to the U.S., and I kiss the earth. Thank God that I'm American. You know what I'm saying? So there's a way you can be grateful for it and still see its purpose. But it's one of the kingdoms that will pass away. Yeah. And if we see it as anything other than that, that's when we're going to have this alternative um, that yeah. God, functional yeah. God. Yeah, and that's where we need to do what it takes to kind of get this. Yeah, Chris? I'm trying to remember where this quote. But it was a pastor from this online sermon. I can't remember what his name was, but he was talking about the moment that like a Christian because like, like, I'm pretty sure like a lot of people have this idea where like what if you just had a nation that was only run by Christians then it would be perfect mm-hmm. but the moment you start thinking in that way you have like totally abandoned the whole point of preaching the gospel and going out to people and obeying God it's, yeah. it became self-idolatrous the desire the perfect yeah. nature run by only us yeah I mean you can look at, let's say the 1950s and the health of the church in the 1950s. Uh, it really wasn't that healthy. Um, it it's was openly over- racist. Huh? It was openly racist. Openly racist. So you had like the you had the mainline denominations, which really kind of ran the show, and they were theologically heterodox. Many of the fundamentalists, you know, would have targeted, it would have um, tolerated certain racist pol- policies. You know what I'm saying? And so, even though you always read about in alarm that all of these you know, the churches are, people are being de-churched, Christians are, are leaving. I mean, a lot of them weren't Christians to begin with. Right, that, that's just kind of the, the reality of it. But you look at, seminaries are probably as healthy as I've ever seen. There's some great Christian publishing going on. You know, there's a growing uh, movement of Christianity in, in, you know, the global south in China and other places. I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on that are actually a, a good thing. But when people start lamenting that we're losing America, are we really, is that, are we losing America or are we losing political power? And there's always that temptation, right? When, when Jesus was presented to that audience, is Jesus or Barabbas, you guys know Barabbas' crime? Treason. It was treason, right? He was leading a revolution. Right? He was somebody who actually tried to overthrow Rome and failed and was sent to prison. So when they had a choice of who do we choose, you know, political insurrectionist or Jesus, right? They, they chose the insurrectionist. And so that's, that's just one of the dangers. Um, and I, I've talked about this before. I'm not really concerned about um, the left in our church. I'm saying there, there's not a liberal to be found in our church. We're, been, we're pretty like squared away on that. But sometimes the extreme right, you know, and that type of antagonism can can distract us from our main mission, right? And again, God bless America. I love America. I mean, I'm proud to be an American. I'm thankful for it. And I think when you look past all of the, the faults that we've had as a nation, I mean, it is moving in the right direction, the right course in many ways. Um, but saving America can't be the goal of the church, right? Yeah. And that's not what we are here for. But there is something to leveraging America, and I think protecting our freedoms. You know, and, and, and again, you know, sin can take a good thing, like patriotism, right? That's a good thing, and it can make it an ultimate thing. And when it becomes an ultimate thing, 
Yeah, that's a problem. Right, and that could be children, good thing, ultimate thing, our nation, your spouse, your friends. Right, so that's the thing is that sin can take any good thing and pervert it and twist it. And part of discernment is understanding when that line has been crossed. Okay, so I might have inflamed people here too, so I'm going to go ahead and leave it open to the floor for objections or pushback or qualifications. I would just say um, I think many times there might be a pattern of God giving you those good things in your life, but when they're temporarily disrupted, that's it's often God's grace of revealing to us that they've become yeah. idols. So yeah. if I've, it's a good thing to have sleep, but when I, I can't sleep, it's a good thing to be healthy, but when I lose my health, yeah. my kids get sick, if I'm having, right, when all these good blessings get disrupted, it's very much a work of God's grace because he reveals in your heart Right? Mm-hmm. Are you going to sin and rebellion against God because you don't have this thing that's a good blessing? <coughs> or, you know, like Joe, you see him continuing to bless God when he gives his health, yeah. he gives his children. And so, whether it's your job, whatever those those things are. So often, those are God's blessings when those things get temporarily, right, removed yeah. for a time mm-hmm. so that you can truly learn that, yeah, I do I do trust God, I do love God, I do Mm-hmm. It's provision. Yeah. 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 Go ahead, Eric. Um, when thinking about like, I guess I, I think of the the patriotism concept a little bit more from the context of wineskins, in a sense. Okay. There's only a sense to where how it was built. It can only go up to a certain point, so you probably shouldn't expect the church to be formed within the Constitution of the United States. <coughs> yeah. It just doesn't work. Yeah. It was meant for mm-hmm. the church that yeah. Jesus started. But yeah. Judy? Well, going back kind of to the political situation, nothing happens mm-hmm. that God isn't in control of. Mm-hmm. Just like some of the situations, the shootings, all this type of mm-hmm. thing, God is still in mm-hmm. control. And we lose yeah. sight of that, yeah. that regardless of the mess the politicians make of our yeah. country, God is in control of that because yeah. he's leading to his son's return. Yeah. And we mm-hmm. as Christians need particularly to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. And when we are talking to people who are very possessed by this political idea is to tell them that God is in control. Like I talked to a lady and she said, my family comes first. I said, God should actually come first. It should be God, family, and then whatever follows after that. Yeah, all in the right order. Yeah, that's a good point. So I mean, again, I am not anti-patriotism, just want to qualify that. I'm not anti-political engagement. But just be aware that that sin can take a good thing and twist it, right? Sin can take a good thing and twist it. And if you can't conceive of how, how, like, Satan can even twist um, church ministry. Mm -hmm. That's my sermon for next week. He can take, like, a good thing like church ministry and serving the Lord and twist it. You can take a good thing like Bible knowledge and twist it, 
right? Knowledge puffs up. So part of the sermon is just figuring out what good thing might the Lord be twisting. Or not, not the Lord. Yeah, so what, what good thing could Satan be, be twisting right now? Does that make sense? Don't, don't twist my words. <laughs> All right, let's go. We'll go ahead and uh, pray and we'll wrap up. Well, Father, I do thank you for the study of sin, and I pray that all of us will just see it for the horror that it is. It is awful. It is twisted. It is perverted. And I pray that you'll help us to identify perhaps the different good things that might have displaced you um, in our own lives, uh, that we'll walk away uh, just challenged to to basically repent of twisted forms of worship. Uh, pray for this next part of our worship service. that will be pleasing to you, in Christ's name. Amen.